Norm Lavalette. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about all things uh, entertainment and comedy and improv and the business thereof, entrepreneurship, and just trying to do things with your life. Uh, my name is Norm Lavalette. I am co-owner and co-founder of a place called Improv Asylum in Boston and New York City and a whole bunch of other comedy clubs, Laugh Boston, that kind of stuff. I am joined, as always, with the intrepid and talented and flexible Ari Goldberg. <laughs> Uh, hey guys, uh, how's it going? Very good. Uh, I don't know if you're flexible, Ari. Um, well, I I did win a twister competition when I was in college. What what, what are you from the fifties? Well, yes. You kind of do have a fifties vibe. Do I think you would? Fit I've that? been I've been told by many directors and coaches that I I have like a an old timey vibe whenever I do anything. Yeah, you definitely have an old timey slash old man vibe about you in a good way, <laughs> but in a good yeah. Way. Right, so it's a good way. So uh, thanks for being here and organizing these things. Oh, anytime. So good, yeah. So uh, you know, we'll jump right in uh, on the things we do. A lot of you know that I use kind of look at three metrics of whether I want to pursue something in a rough way. I'm not a slave to these things, but it just gives you a thing uh, or or something to look at. They are: uh, Do I love something? Uh, Does it make me money? Uh, Or am I intellectually curious about it? And if anything hits one of those boxes, it's kind of worth at least pursuing for a little while. So you know, jumping in, making money—it's you know coming slow with the pandemic because all the companies are continued to be closed down. Uh, But uh, on the other hand, it is interesting. We're seeing more and more. Uh, we're seeing more and more uh, clients and, and, and other folks reach out to us to say, well, what can we create for them uh, online? So I think that it's, it's interesting to watch and look and say like, all right, what is that shift? And, and while we've always known that we need to be in that space, what this is doing is it's forcing us to go there. Uh, so there, there's a lot of learning to be done there. So there, there are some opportunities, not, nothing crazy, but, but that's what we're doing. So from a money standpoint, ain't a lot going on. That's fine. Money's fake and it doesn't real. It only exists if we all agree it does, right? Yeah. Good. So there's that. Love. Uh, so, you know, very fortunate that I live down uh, away from the city. We have some open space. We have some abilities to get out. And and one of the things that we found as a family that, that we really love down here is uh, we love playing pickleball. Ooh. You ever played pickleball, Ari? Uh, I, I think so. Yeah. Uh, it's when you're... You're, is it like pick the term pickle in baseball when you're no. running between? No? no, then no. I've never played pickleball. I have no idea what it is, and I'm interested to learn. Okay, great. So pickleball, initially when you hear pickleball, those who know it, it you think of it as old people's tennis uh, and, and, and in a derisive way. Well, we started playing pickleball. It's the best. So basically, it, it's like tennis and, and they've even they've even been converting a bunch of tennis courts to pickleball courts, but they shrink it, it shrinks everything down and you're playing with like paddles and a wiffle ball uh, or a wiffle ball type of, of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Great. It's so much fun. It's, it's almost like it's almost like playing ping pong, but you're standing on the board. Oh, you know, so it's unlike tennis when you try to go out in tennis and like nobody can ever hit the ball back and forth to each other and you get like one or two volleys. It's great. It's yeah. Fantastic. Uh, we love it. So uh, myself, my wife, and my two daughters, uh, we, we uh, usually uh, get out and play whenever it's nice out once once a day. So pickleball, everybody. And I know it sounds like ooh, pickleball, old people. I'm telling you, it's it's great. It's fun. It's good stuff. Pickleball. Now, can you just like buy pickleball equipment from like dick sporting goods or yeah absolutely you can or go online and you just have, have some but yeah you can buy, buy pickleball it's like a big huge thing uh and, and so check it out it's a it's a lot of fun sounds lame but it's a lot of fun uh oh, yeah. and then intellectually curious uh continuing on what we've been discussing ari it can't possibly be about chickens could it well it has to be about chickens because this is a uh. long process yeah. I mean, we don't, you know, this, this doesn't just happen, right? Um, no, you're right. So, uh, so you need the egg before you can get the chicken. Oh, I, I guess I never thought of it in that uh, meta- <laughs> metaphorical sense. Sorry, I like that. That's very nice. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I'm in the design phase talking about uh, the various different designs that we have for the chicken coop. 
which is very exciting. And you have to decide how much run space do you want the chickens to have when they're outside of the uh, the, the main domicile, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. is, is, it, uh, is it? Is it a two kind of floor type of thing? How do you access the eggs? Uh, there's a lot that goes into it, man. What are you leaning towards? Or are you still... Well, I, you know, we're still trying to figure it out. I want, I want enough run for the chickens that, 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 that they can, you know, well, it can't be free range because I, I live, I, I don't live right. in free range, but you want enough run, uh, run for them to move around. But you also, you know, you have to keep it reasonable so that my family doesn't fully hate everything that I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. So that continues, that continues on its march. Uh, and, uh, and hopefully at some point, uh, I'll be able to say that we're in construction. So those are the things in the world that we live in today that I, uh, am doing. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm very excited to have, uh, have a fantastic uh, guest. Uh, so, so the person that, that will be joining us here, uh, she's a, a fantastic talent, and I've had the I've had the privilege to work with her a, a little bit, uh, but but more importantly to just watch the rise in her career. And you know, we talk a lot, uh, obviously, about the business end of things uh, here here on on Beyond the Norm. And I think uh, I think this person is really, if you're ever looking to model yourself after somebody, uh, this is a person to model yourself after because. She's taken everything. Uh, she's taken control of her career in a way that I think so few, so few performers do. And I, and I know that it's very hard to do that. But to watch what she's done, she's been relentless uh, on the stage, off the stage, and and taking what she's done uh, from being a fantastic live uh, comedic performer to turning that into a writer. She is writing for Call Me Cat, uh, which is airing on Fox Television in the fall. She's written for uh, for Tuned Out on HBO. She's been on Westworld. She was uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but she was a new face for uh, Just for Laughs uh, Comedy Festival, which is the biggest comedy festival in the world. She was accepted to the incredibly competitive Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. She's an all-around fantastic talent, uh, a really great person, one of my favorites. Uh, Molly Schreiber, welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh my gosh. There's something really exciting being called someone's favorite. Um, And I feel like, you know, every time we talk in the future, I'm just going to be like, hey, it's your favorite. It's Molly Schreiber. Sure. Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me. No problem. No problem. I mean, and and I mean that though. I mean, to, 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 to watch, to, to watch how you've handled your career, you know, it, it it is inspiring because that's the question. And we were talking a little bit, you know, Molly uh, prior to, you know, going, going on record, but we were talking about, you know, that is the mystery, right? I mean, we all understand from a creative standpoint, you've got to create, you got to learn, you got to take classes, you got to get on stage, be it improv or stand up or, or acting, you got to get in front of the camera. We all understand intuitively you have to do those things. I think the, the greater mystery for everybody is, but then how, right? But then how <laughs> on the business side of it? And, and I think watching yeah. your career, it's been really, really uh, fantastic the way you've navigated it. Thank you. I mean, it, it's really uh, lovely to hear someone talk about it in like a sh- few short sentences and be like, she's did, she did stuff. She's done stuff. Because, you know, when you're living it, it feels like this endless Sisyphean battle that you're like, will I ever make progress? But then to be like, oh yeah, I, th- I started here and then did this and then did this and now I'm writing for a show for Fox does feel like <laughs> I have accomplished something, which is great. But well, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's a common right. I think that's the common oh, yeah. of everybody that we talk to, and and I feel the same way. But you know, and I think it's I think it's a it's it's indicative or or it's uh, it's just part of our makeup as creators where we have such a hard time looking back or, or even looking in the present and giving ourselves credit for what we've already done. Right. Because mm-hmm. of that measure against everything else, like, Oh sure. I'm doing this, but it's not really that. And, and so I think, I think yeah. it does become nice when somebody else says, Hey, y- you've done some pretty cool shit and you're doing really well. So. Well, and considering what was really nice was when I, <laughs> I agreed to do this podcast. I was like, yeah, well, you know, I know Norm back from, Oh my God, 10 years ago. I think I was on the main stage 10 years ago. I don't know how 10 years passed, but a lot has happened (laughs) since that 10 year mark. Like 
I had just graduated NYU from the acting school. Uh, I moved back to Boston because I was like, no one ever works in New York. <laughs> you just like drown to pay for your uh, apartment of squalor with five roommates. And so I moved back to Boston. And then I'm pretty sure I saw the posting for Improv Asylum auditions on like, I don't know what it even was in back backstage or something. Yeah, probably was backstage like, with stage source. Yeah. Yeah, 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 stage source. And I went to the audition. And I remember afterwards, you like pulled me aside and you're like, okay, so here's the deal. You clearly have stage presence and you know what you're doing on stage and you have no knowledge of improv at all. <laughs> I was like, that's accurate. You're like, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to train you. We're going to develop you. We're going to teach you how to use that in the improv world. And uh, since then, like moving out to LA and I went through UCB and went through all of Groundlings as well. Yeah. And both of those training fields were so wonderful for honing different types of improv skills. Sure. And it was really interesting to like start off in those worlds and people be like, wait, why are you good? And I was like, oh, because I'm, I'm not actually a first level improv student. I actually came from Improv Asylum in Boston where I did like five to 800 shows. I don't recall, but I do know that of those shows, I, I don't know if we could swear on this podcast, but I'm gonna, uh, I just ate shit for like the first two to 300 shows. I went out and I just ate crow every night and was like, in my opinion, just crickets all the time until, and I was trying to like kind of mimic everybody else's style. And I was being like, wow, I, I trained as a performer and I cannot get this performance genre. And there was one time where you were like talking to the group. You're saying, yeah, you know, like when we go out there and I know Molly's going to pull a big character move and it, my brain kind of clicked. And I was like, I am. You're like, yeah. Cause you're an actor and you're coming from an actor point of view and you're going to make a big, strong character. And I was like, that's allowed. And I was like, I was like the light bulb went off and I realized that I'd been trying to do like Dan fan of one liners for sure. three months. And that was not me. And then I just did character stuff from then on out. And I was like, Oh, this feels right. But like that slow curve of learning how to do this new performance genre, this piece of the industry pie has been such a, an overall lesson in my career of one, don't be afraid to just be terrible a million times in a row and just not quit. And just not quit when you're not like receiving the results that you hope you're going to get, the huge applause or the best, best new job or that uh, TV show or whatever. You're like, okay, get up again and do it 500 more times. Well, I think, that's, I think that's the great part, you know, certainly of comedy, uh, be it improv or stand up or whatever. It, it it does develop that, you know, that that psychic scar tissue, which yeah. is, which is, you know, fail, get up, do it again, fail, get up, do yeah. it again. And look, and if you can't, then you, you shouldn't be doing it. And that's OK. You know, yeah, but and there's also just the, the thickness of your skin that develops of realizing, oh, this is not actually failure. This is all a part of the game. This is how you get better. And the difference of watching people who don't succeed at first and how they just kind of shut down or they beat themselves up, that you learn to just remove that whole part of the process and be like, no, it's fine. I wasn't funny tonight. Okay. Let's see what tomorrow is. Right. And it doesn't matter, right? We always talk about it. The, the audience does not care about us anywhere near what we think they do. Right. They, right. they all, you know, <laughs> whether they liked your show or they hated your show, they still went to Mike's Pastries to get a cannoli and they've stopped thinking about you. Yeah, so, and they really love that cannoli. No, they no, really no. are still thinking about the cannoli. And that's that's what they do, right? Well, I think, you are, I, I think you know, while you're probably a little hard on yourself in terms of, you know, eating it for, for 300 shows, <laughs> I, I, would, I would disagree with that, to, you know, to, to a point. Uh, but but I, I think each, you're a great representative because each person comes at it in their own way. And, and I, that's one of the things I've always talked about, which is, I'm always very cautious about saying, well, this is how you do anything because I've seen too many people come at it from too many different ways and be successful. Mm -hmm. with it. And I think for mm -hmm. you, it was very clear that you were an incredibly talented performer. You had uh, great training uh, on the stage, but we were like, well, yeah, you, you don't have the, the improv language yet. 
but anybody can learn that. The, the much harder part is is teaching uh, the spark, the talent uh, of what what you had and that you've been working on. And then you know, jumping ahead to when you were on the main stage, uh, you know, the NXT onto the main stage, any cast that you're in, I think there's that we all feel it that imposter syndrome when we're first starting out, oh, just sure. trying trying to figure out like. Uh, they're letting me on the stage. I just got to try not to screw it up today, uh, <laughs> which is fine. But eventually, you know, you find your own style, your own voice. And mm-hmm. and for you, it, it was it, it was very quick when, when you just when we kind of had that conversation and, and it was like, Molly, it's character for you. Your even your comedic sensibility, your comedic chops, you're able to your ability to execute comedically on the stage totally changed and, and i think you're right mm-hmm. no if you're not if you're not a one-liner machine you shouldn't try to be you, you got to find out h- how you did it and you know there's many obviously there's a zillion ways to do improv uh but one of to this day one of my favorite things to ever watch a performer do is uh, there's many either different structures or games or whatever that you can put up and there's like these versions of uh spelling bee that we would play and man, Molly, I, I used to love to watch your characters during uh, the, the spelling bee type structures. They were so great, and 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 what made them different. And you could really see your acting, you know, uh, background and training come through. Is how committed you were to those characters. <laughs> you, you were committed in that improv wink, wink way. Man, you were committed, and it was so fun, and it was so great to watch. Oh, thanks. I remember just doing like some of the dumbest stuff and being like, well, I'm not going to stop halfway through. So I guess I better drag this microphone through the audience and just keep going with this bit. And it was really satisfying. So so you you came up, as you said, you came from uh, NYU, right? Mm-hmm. And you came and you came back and you did that. And, and I think that not only as, as a comedic performer, but I think you've always had a, a very strong point of view on, on a larger scale in terms of the industry uh, as a woman, as somebody that's a creative in comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, you find yourself in L.A., uh, you know, and that's that's great. I think you always you, you knew what you wanted. Take us a little bit through your time in L.A. because, you know, it, it didn't just. This, this stuff didn't happen for you overnight. You did many different things. Take us a little bit through uh, through your life out there. Yeah. Well, I, I have a natural restlessness that is coupled with drive, and it makes me very dissatisfied, and it also makes me push very, very hard. So Boston was such a wonderful time for me after college, but then I felt like, okay, so like I got on the main stage, and I did – some shows at the Huntington. And now I feel like I I need new, 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 new. And I came out to LA and I knew that it would be a reality check because you get to a certain point in your career and you're like, great, now we just move forward. But when you move to a new market, you have to start again. And so it was starting at the bottom at the Groundlings, starting at the bottom at UCB, and then starting at the bottom in the acting world. And that first year was hilariously sad and the majority of it was me sitting on a couch with my roommate's French bulldog and he was really gassy and he would just fart all day long and I'd be like so this is my life now like this is year one of Los Angeles and I worked like a little but far less than I was used to like I was coming from a background in theater and live comedy which meant I was performing five to eight shows to ten shows a week And then you get in the film and TV world and you get one day shoots. So I'd be shooting like five, 10 days a year. And then I was like, what do I do with the rest of this time? I'm not a person who sits still well. And then I got a day job teaching at SoulCycle like one does and was in that bizarre world for many, many years. And And, all the while, yeah. Just to stop you there for a second, Molly, too, is... Again, I think it's in so many of our natures to to, to undersell uh, ourselves and what we do. But following your career and, and your life and having stayed in touch o- over over uh, these 10 years, you didn't just work at SoulCycle. You became a rock star there. And, 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 you, and, your, same, and your same work ethic, that, that doesn't change, uh, be, be it from the stage to television to film to writing to what you did there. And, and it, that's the constant, right? And, and somebody like yourself, you can put you in any 
myriad situations and that's going to come through. And that came through within SoulCycle. And that's not to minimize that. They were sending you around the country to, to open their studios, uh, if I'm correct in remembering, if I'm, is that right? Yeah, I, I did come back and help open up the Boston market and ha 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 chicken. Um, and then, yeah, I would teach up in San Francisco and then pop back to LA. And all the while I was doing that with a very clear perspective, which was, I need something that doesn't crush my soul, that pays my bills, that bonus keeps me in shape and that also does not take away from time that I would be auditioning and so I opted to be teaching at 6 a.m so I'd wake up at 5 a.m I would teach a class at 6 a.m so that the rest of the day was free for auditions and, and I think it was brutal it's brutal but 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 I will say I will say though especially from 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 the point of view from 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 business entrepreneurship you're an entrepreneur right mm-hmm. And, and that's what it takes. We've always talked about this, right? And I always use, you know, obviously I have a lot of meetings. I'm sure you probably have them now too, with people that are coming up and, you know, and like, you Mm -hmm. know, and and the phrase that I hear all the time is I really want to do this. I really want to do comedy. I really want to do this. And my answer is always the same on that, which is, oh, that's not nearly enough. I mean, yeah. Who, who wouldn't want to be on stage and have people cheer you and tell you how funny you are and stuff like that. Wanting it isn't enough. Needing it, having to have it, almost wishing you didn't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. It, right. And, and so I, I think it's, yeah, when you look at that, like that's what it takes if you really want to, and there's still no guarantee it's going to work, but oh, yeah. I, I think that's where I say you're such a great represent, represent uh, representative of the fact that, that's the work ethic. Yeah. And like when you're in it, it feels like such a slog. And then you start seeing little bits of movement. So for me, looking back, I can very easily say, because I was not getting huge roles as an actor, because the acting side of my career was not coming easily, that was the biggest catalyst that forced me to start writing. Because if no one was giving me the jobs, then I had to make them myself. And I did not know how to write comedy. And oddly enough, like looking back on my improv asylum years, I think I pitched two sketches in the whole time that I was there. Like I didn't pitch anything. I didn't write anything. I never got anything on the main stage. And looking back at that now, when my main category in the industry is comedy writer, is so interesting to me. Sure. But I, I think it's it's a slow burn to start to switch categories and be like, am I a writer? Do I have a skill in this or can I work hard enough to learn this genre? And so it's the, same, it's the same thing though, right? Like it, it, you have to take that, that leap. You have to say, well, can I write? It, 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 yeah. Am I, I going to suck? You have to be willing, you know, the first step to greatness is sucking. Yeah. And that's, it was the same thing with improv was saying like, okay, I'm going to write a bunch of sketch. I'm going to write a ton of sketch. And I don't know if it's any good. And then I'm going to like gather some people together and start filming these sketches and ask for every favor of every person I know in Los Angeles who has technical filmmaking skills. And then when I showed them the scripts that I had written, the sketches, they were like, oh yeah, that's really funny. I'll work on this for free. And it was kind of shocking to me. I was like, oh, if the material is good, you can make this. People want to work on it. And that grew into producing things that garnered a lot of attention online. And then and I not just online, with- Molly, too, but, but, but online, you know, in a very credible way. Right. So, so you were doing some really great stuff uh, on, on funnier die and you were being yeah. very featured there. I mean, this is, this, you, you know, it's more than just, Hey, I put it out there and, you know, 400 of my friends watched it. I mean, it was really, yeah. really, again, as somebody from afar watching you work on your career, I'm like, well, that that's just fantastic. Well, and then I called up Funny or Die. I was like, hey, so you guys have featured everything I've sent you that I've made. Do you want to like do this formally? Do you work with outside production? They're like, oh yeah, we have a whole branch of outside production. And I was like, oh, can I meet with you and talk? And they said, absolutely. Come on down. Let's find a time. And then they just sat with me for an hour and I pitched them ideas and they were like, great, send us some stuff and we'll see which ones we want to make. And it was so fascinating to me that if you actually like created something good enough 
then you could just pick up the phone and call someone and they'd say, yeah, let's have a meeting, which had literally never happened to me before. Before that, it was like calling random agents and managers being like, am I good? And they're like, I don't care. Bye. <laughs> like no one would give you the time of day. But if you had a product, if you had something tangible to show them that they could say, oh, you have a comedic point of view. That's interesting. That's different. And uh, I think specifically, people are always looking for more female comedy points of view right now. And that was really apparent to me really fast that as a, you know, 20 something, 30 something white, brown haired, five foot five actress, I was literally a dime a dozen. And the only, the only thing that is, it is more prevalent, the only thing, Molly, that's more prevalent and less needed is a 30 to 40 year old, <laughs> white haired, brown, uh, uh, white guy, brown haired, brown eyes, five, seven, five, nine, white guy. I mean, your phone's not ringing off the hook for like major jobs opposite Tom Cruise. That's shocking. I don't even like shocking norm. I'm it's just annoying. It's too many of them. Yeah. But then I started writing and then it was just such a different path. Doors started opening for me with so much more ease and frequency as a female creator than just as an actress. And my manager and I have talked about it several times over the years of that the pay for hire actor is just becoming less attractive. And so everything is moving towards the direction of why wouldn't you make your own stuff? Why wouldn't you express your point of view? And so from Funny or Die, I started producing with them. And then I applied to Just for Laughs as a new face creator and got in, which I was like, wait, what? Huh? What do you mean? And then I flew to Montreal and I did that comedy festival, which was just the biggest whirlwind clusterfuck of sure. fun. And you have no idea what you're doing going into it. You just Montreal, fly to Montreal. Yeah. You show up with like a million other comedians and there's like a hundred shows in a row and you just go in for the, the new faces creators is still like a bit in its nascent years. So basically it's like internet creators and they highlight eight and they put you in a room and you have a panel. Ours was hosted by the guy who did, you know, that internet trivia show that everyone was wild about for like 10 oh, minutes. Uh, HQ. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that guy interviewed us, Scott, R R Scott, whatever. Scott Rogowski. He's my cousin. You. Oh my gosh. Yes. So he was lovely and he uh, interviewed us all and it was in a room of like 400 industry people, like every agency, every network, every platform is there. And then you just gave your five minutes of like who you are and what your comedy is. And I was very clear about being like, I write short form right now, but I'm very much moving into the half hour narrative space because there is only so far you can go in internet comedy and short form. And unless your your absolute dream is SNL, which mine was for many, many years, and then the dream evolves and changes, and that is great. Let that happen. Um, then you have to keep moving forward, as has been the theme for me. And so I said that in front of 400 people. I was like, I am trying to write. I am looking to develop into half-hour narrative comedy. And from there to Warner Brothers. And just, I'm going to stop you right there for a second yeah. because, because I think how, how it plays into what my philosophy and, and look, you know, you, we're all biased towards our own experiences and, and what has helped us be successful or fail or whatever. But, but I've always been, and I still am to this day, I've always known, assumed that the only thing I'm going to get is, is the things that I make and I create. Mm -hmm. And 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 if you if if you have that attitude, it's crazy, right? And I think you just said it in such a lovely way. You are looked at differently when you've made something, yeah. As opposed as opposed to when you constantly are asking people if they'll hire you to make stuff, yeah. <laughs> right. It's it, it's a total different thing. And and in many ways, in our business, what 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 is nice about our business is we get to define ourselves. However we want. If you now say I'm a comedy writer and you're writing comedy, you're a comedy writer. If you're if you're making videos, if you're making movies, you're a movie maker. And and your value, your value goes up so much when you've made something, you know, almost irrespective of the quality. 
but it, it really does. <laughs> yeah. And, and there was something uh, that was a bit of a battle for me of like letting go for, of the idea of just being an actor for hire. Like that's what I have always trained of. That has always been the dream. And then to see more success and traction happening on this other side was a bit of a tug of war for me to, to let go of the actor side and be like, acting will come back. I, I will, and I have very strong belief that my life as a writer is going to lead back to me being an actor. And that was kind of the whole idea is I started writing to make roles for myself. Right. And now it's snowballed into something much bigger, which is great. But to let go of that like hard and fast, this is the dream and I will work only for this dream and to allow it to shift and grow and be like, well, actually, like, could I be really happy just writing? We'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> we'll and, and time will tell. And, and yet it's, it's, it's like anything else. It's like, it's, you know, it's like the improvisational mentality, right? Typically where you start isn't where you finish. And, 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 and within each decision you make, other windows open up and, and it becomes yeah. you know, the opportunities that you would never even expect are only, are only coming to you because you're making proactive choices along the way. And all of a sudden you go from, you know, I, I do improv and sketch comedy to I'm in Montreal at the biggest comedy festival in the world to, you know, I'm writing, I'm writing for television and film. Hmm. If you were to try to write that down in script like that, the way it was going to go it wouldn't work. But, yeah. but, but just like in a scene, you concentrated on the thing that you were doing and it, it leads to the next part. So, so then that leads you to, which was, I think, a really obviously a great uh, opportunity uh, with, the, with the, the, Warner Brother, uh, the Warner Brothers uh, writing workshop. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think it was about a year later after Just for Laughs, which was like the first, I think, like high profile thing that I had done. Um, I started sitting with my writer friends. I, I was lucky in that I had a, a bunch of friends who were TV writers and way higher up the food chain. And they were on hiatus or they were between shows. And I just sat with them at the coffee shop for a year and I wrote beside them and I would ask them a hundred questions and they were gracious enough to read my scripts and give me notes and be like, you don't, you don't know how to format things. And I was like, I don't. And they were like, but you have a voice. So like, and, figure and, that and out. You said something very important and, and, you know, we try to hit this talk about all the time. You sat there for a year. Yeah, right? literally was at the coffee shop with them for a and year. You, and you've been doing this for years. And and I think, and you can't know what you don't know. I didn't know anything when, when I was starting in my, you know, early 20s as well. We all think, you know, time is means something very different. And we're like, you know, yeah, in 18 months, I should really be on my way. Uh, and and it's, <laughs> right? it's always 18 months. Whenever I talk to, to, to new people, it's not 12, like, it's this weird, like, well, I want to make sure that I'm given uh, enough of a time past a year that I don't look stupid, but like, but it's only going to be 18 months. It's always oh, 18 God. months. It's going to be 10 to 30 years yeah. and everyone just like grab a cup of coffee and get comfortable because if you want to get anywhere, it, it, it's longevity. That's the name of the game is like, how long can you go in this world of utter suffering and sure. say, you know what? I am still laser focused on this thing. I still find pockets of joy on this journey. And for me, a lot of it has also been removing money as a factor. I am a person who I know I'm very tied up with the names and the companies and the brands. And like, I want to work for big things. And if it's not a big thing, paying me big money, then I'm like, it's shit. It's nothing. It's, it's not important. And then when I started producing and directing and making my own stuff, on a set where no one was being paid and I was shelling out like 150 bucks for everybody's lunch, I found the same level of joy and fulfillment on in some often more than those big name jobs that were so fleeting. Because you're in control of that, right? And, and I think yeah. I think as somebody who's taking control of her, of her career, you know, from the get go, I think that's it. And, you know, if, if I were to look at, at myself, why do I still do what I do? Um, it's, it's because I get to control my life. And, and, and yeah. the, the, the monetary value on that 
uh, it, it can't be quantified. And I'm sure I'm sure there is a program somewhere out there that that, that can put it out there. But <laughs> sure, I, I could sell my stuff and, and work for sell the companies and work for some other larger entertainment thing. Except that sounds terrible to me. Yeah, well, and there's a lot to be said for being purpose driven, to having a very clear purpose in your life. And like I made a very strong choice when I was. 18 going to college that I was going to choose a life of the arts. And if that meant being poor and struggling and not having a clear path towards a house and a secure future and money every week, <laughs> then that was the choice I was making. Yeah. It, it's a life. And that's what we talk about, right? It, it's, you're not choosing a career, you're choosing a lifestyle and, yeah. and, and, and the lifestyle hopefully can and will change as you find success, but it may not, you know, there's no security in it. So, so you're hanging out for a year with the other writers. Uh, and then, and then how, how, how does that lead to uh, the Warner Brothers program? So my idea in that year was I want to write a half hour script that is a vehicle for myself. I want it. I am very clear now that I am writing female-driven comedy. That is what has gotten me success. That what that is what feels true to me. That is what feels different in this plane. That I'm not just the regular male-focused comedy guy. And uh, I started writing that script, and I just started looking for every external deadline I could. Because when you're sitting in a coffee shop and no one's asking for your script. There's a lot of reasons to like drag it on for years and be like, well, I never need to finish it. No one needs to read it. So I would find like I researched every grant and every workshop that I could apply to in order to just have a deadline to say, I have to finish this script or this project by X date and submit it to this random grant. And so I, I did that with the network writing programs, which I, by the way, had never heard of until like six months prior. A friend of mine was like, are you applying to the the writing workshops, the writing programs. And I was like, what are those? <laughs> and then it got down to two weeks before the deadlines. And most of the networks uh, are at the same time. And I thought, oh, well, I'm not really finished with my script. I don't know. I don't know. And it got to two weeks beforehand. And I finished a pass on my script. And I got a round of notes from a, a fellow writer. And I implemented all those notes. And then the next part of the requirements for applying was to write a spec script. And I was like, oh, I've never written a spec. Well, fuck it. I can bang one out in two weeks. So I wrote a spec of Veep. And then I submitted them to ABC, NBC, and Warner Brothers. I heard nothing from NBC or ABC. And then I ended up getting into Warner Brothers against all odds, which was still bonkers to me because they have, I think it's like, 2300 applicants and they take yeah, I mean, eight, that, I mean that, that program you know what you know limited knowledge that I have uh, from from you submitting <laughs> and other people submitting to it, I mean that's a super super competitive program uh, you know to, to be accepted into and it was and then you get into it and then they're like oh by the way there's only two comedy writers and then turns out the other comedy writer was more of a dramedy writer and I was the only comedy comedy writer and I was like so wait I'm the one <laughs> And it was wild, and it's this rad, just rad boot camp of, okay, so you are the best eight writers of these thousands of writers, but you're missing that little step in the middle of how you become a professional staff writer. And it's, it was like eight months or something of once-a-week meetings and lectures from uh, veteran showrunners and... 30 year experienced episodic directors and just and all facets. This, this is, we don't pay for this, but what we found out, which I didn't even know when I applied was they pay for your salary when you get staffed. So oh. basically you are free to a show. You don't come out of their budget, which is a big incentive for them to hire you. Gotcha. And that's one of the handful of programs that do that. And some of them do not do that. Like HBO is an amazing program, but then they're just like, okay, you're done with this two year program. Good luck. Um, so Warner brothers has this chunk of cash for you at the end of it. That makes you suddenly a free staff writer and you can get that first job, which is always that impossible thing to get is that first lily pad. And uh, I also found out that there are not a lot of TV comedies. <laughs> I didn't know this because we're such comedy centric people. 
I watch a bazillion comedies on TV and just thought, of course, there's a bunch of them. No, 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 no. All of TV is hour-long dramas. They're like oh. 10 comedies and they're a dying breed and nobody wants to buy them and nobody wants to develop them and they never make to air. And so I didn't know until the end of the program that, by the way, we have 100 dramas and all of you drama writers will absolutely get jobs instantly. And comedies, well, good luck, Molly. So it took me an extra five months after all my other drama, drama writer friends to get a job. And what and was, the, I did. was the first job that you got? The first job that I got, and this was all of in October of last year, was on Tuned Out for HBO Max, which is a hybrid live action animation show. So it's kind of in the vein of Roger Rabbit and it uses all the Looney Tunes properties and like uh, the Flintstones and all the Warner Brothers animated properties. And so I wrote on that for a bit and then that job ended. And then I was like, oh God, I'm back to unemployment. This is always the norm. Ha ha, beyond the norm. Ah, blah, blah, blah. Bring it in. Pull it all together, Beautiful mind. And then, um, again, a bit of a miracle happened and a new show popped up. And I had met with that showrunner a year ago for a different job. And then this show got picked up to series. And I sent every email I could to everybody I knew at Warner Brothers and was like, is this job hiring? Has it already been staffed? What's the deal? And they slid me in at the last minute they said it was a Thursday that I got the call saying hey are you free on Monday and I was like are you kidding me and then I started on that job a couple months ago and that was for call me cat which is a multicam that's going to be on Fox and it's starring Maya Bialik and Leslie Jordan and Swoozie Kurtz and Cheyenne Jackson and it's based on a a BBC comedy called Miranda, which if you're looking for something absolutely joyous and silly to watch during a global pandemic, highly recommend Miranda. And yeah, so now I have been in like two years of solely writer-focused career and it's it's just fascinating. I never, ever would have seen the career going this direction and you just gotta trust the direction where the good stuff is happening and kind of surrender to it. And right now, like I'm having so much fun. It feels so good to be in a writer's room and pitching jokes all day long. And it, I'm just so grateful and I'm so glad I never quit. <laughs> well, and, and I think, you, know, you know, as I look at it and, and as anybody can, can look at it, it's not just me, but you know, we can never really, it's, it's hard to have self-evaluation in terms of the own thing, the, the things that we're doing. It's, it's, you know, if, if you're a reasonable human being, you're probably less impressed by your stuff and that's probably how it should be. Right. But, but I look at it and I, and, and I think anybody who's even listening to this can easily piece together the commonality, right. Which is the fact that it's the proactiveness that, that you created when nobody was asking you to create. Okay. Uh, you picked up the phone and you called funny or die when they weren't calling you, huh? you sat there and you called the people that you knew, the writers, you sat in the coffee shop writing the scripts that nobody was asking for and nobody wanted. It yep. was, it was, 100%. It was yeah, it, it, it was, it was you that called everybody you knew and said, this show is coming on on Fox. Who, what can I do? And, mm -hmm. and I think that's, that's a really hard, that's a really hard um, skill for, for many, many people to, to be, to, to learn how to be the champion for themselves. Be their right? own advocate. It really is. And, 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 and it, and, and I think it culturally, uh, it, it affects things as well. I mean, I can't speak to it from, uh, from, from a woman's point of view, but culturally, well, maybe, maybe that doesn't come as naturally. Maybe that's not taught. Maybe that's not taught to young women uh, as mm -hmm. much. So, so to have, to have somebody like you to say, yeah, no, this is what it takes and this is what you can do. And oddly enough, people answer, right? Yeah. You, and, and it takes also having other people light the way for you beforehand. And like, I certainly sat down with as many women as I could and, and as many, uh, just, filmmakers and writers as I could and everywhere along the way I was like okay how does editing work show me editing 
and I would sit with an editor for a few weeks and then I would teach myself to edit. And then I would sit with a writer and be like, how does writing work? How does half hour work? How does directing work? I've shadowed a few episodic directors on TV shows to be like, how can I be the best storyteller from all angles and have at least a little bit of knowledge? And then specifically, I found a really strong connection when they were women. So women will guide you through their experience in a specific way, which is uh, like I have a, a an episodic director that I worked with um, that I shadowed and she started as an editor and she was like, it took me years advocating for myself saying, I can direct, I can direct an episode. Let me try an episode. And she just pushed and pushed or pushed that through that barrier until they gave her an episode. And now she's a super successful episodic director. And then talking with other people were like, listen, on set as a woman, people will treat you this way. They will be just a little more questioning of how you say things. They don't initially accept your point of view. So you got to finesse it or you got to play the game or you got to push a little harder. Or what I found to be the most successful, which I watched other women do, was just show up to set like a fucking boss and be warm and cordial, but absolutely confident in what you're saying and the work that you're doing because you've earned your space there. You have, so, you have earned your space. And, and what you're describing, what you're describing is, is healthy and empowered leadership, right? Uh-huh. Which is when you show up into a room like a boss, warm, welcoming, uh, considerate uh-huh. to other people, but also damn sure that you know what you're doing, male, female, whatever, that's it. And that's what you're describing. You're describing leadership. And, and yeah. what happens, it doesn't matter, male, female, in between, uh, what, what happens is, People are natural; they're naturally predisposed to follow leadership, right? Because what ends up happening is people go like, "Well, I don't know. Seems like she knows what she's talking about. Maybe I'll just follow her, even if you don't, right?" But it it, it seems like you do, and and so you know, I think that that's from a leadership standpoint that that is so bad. And look, and that takes time; it takes age; it takes it it takes you know life experience, of course. Um, But but to hear you say that. I mean, it's great. You know, Molly, if, if, if I'm ever in a position where I can have any kind of production, production company, movie, film, theory, uh, I, I would be thrilled to put you in charge of it because that's the type of human uh, being that you want running things. Thank you. Thanks, man. Well, uh, someday, you know, when the world reopens and I make it back home to Boston, obviously, got to catch up. And I'd love to come like pop and do a show, but I'd also, I'd love to sit with the women that you are developing. I'd love to sit with your main stage women and your up and coming women and just like have a business talk of like what the path can be for women and how it's bigger than you might imagine for yourself. I think that's a great, I think that's such a great idea. And when the, and the world opens up, we will put that panel together, you know, from the women on the main stage, NXT, uh, we have an all developmental, uh, uh, female centric, uh, centric uh, cast and program called the trash birds, but all the students, all the students. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think what you, what you can talk to them about, you know, you know, I I don't mean they can learn great improv from places all around the country. Uh, it's it's what you can impart from that business angle of it that I think is is very very unique and we will absolutely get that done uh, when you're here. So when the world does open up, what uh, obviously you've got the show coming up uh, on Fox in the fall, um, but what else? Uh, and any any other things that are kind of you've been oh, you know, part man. of the project? Um, I mean, I for the past ooh, year and a half, I did form a, a little baby production company, um, so I have been filming projects for clients and it started with comedy projects and then it started moving into music videos and non-comedy stuff. So I have said to myself on the director side of things, like I do need to shoot a narrative short film at some point. Um, I do need to finish up a script that I'm working on now that is a half hour dramedy. That's a dark (laughs) Uh, a little more fucked up comedy and uh, you know, acting stuff will come when acting stuff comes. But right now I'm just incredibly happy and grateful that I have a job during this madness and, you know, fingers crossed it'll keep going. 
But uh, yeah, I just want to be like happy, healthy, have food on the table and like maybe hug my friends again someday. I think those are all the things that we're wishing for. And, and I, you know, uh, honestly, Molly, I am, I am so happy for you. I am so uh, proud of you. And, 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 you know, it's people like you that inspire me to keep going too. So it's, it's, it's oh, something that's you, really Laura. exciting to see. Uh, it's pretty, pretty damn cool, Molly. If people hey, want to it's, it's great, man. It's great. If people want to connect with you, if they want to see the work that you're doing and stuff like that, where, where do they find uh, uh, Molly Schreiber? I mean, uh, I mean, if you want to watch old sketch stuff, you could find that on the old YouTubes or the funnier dies. And if you want to see me do a bunch of dumb bits and <laughs> me talk to things like sweet potatoes, uh, which is what my current week has been, um, that'd be on Instagram. Talk, who does not want to see you talk to sweet potatoes? So where do we see that? I got a sweet potato that was the size of my head. And if I'm not going to treat that like a 1940s telephone operator, I'm not doing my job. This is what I have to offer the world. Uh, Instagram at Mo Schreib, M-O-S-C-H-R-E-I-B. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's that. And then you could like IMDB me and watch me do five lines on a bunch of TV shows you've watched. <laughs> me show up as like a medical professional being like, his nose fell off and or you're a robot in like a bunch of shows. Hey, I, that that's, <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a night of drinking for me to, to watch that. I love that. Uh, well, again, for everybody out there, uh, you, you know, you're, you're listening to somebody that, that you're going to hear a hell of a lot more from uh, in the future. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. Uh, I'm even more excited to, uh, to co connect again and catch up when you get back uh, home to Boston or, or next time I'm out in L.A. Uh, and Molly, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being a guest uh, on Beyond the Norm. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Stay safe. Stay happy. Make comedy. Mm -hmm. We will do all that. So uh, that is Beyond the Norm. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Ari Goldberg, as always, our intrepid producer that makes everything go seamlessly. Thank you so much, Ari. Oh, you're very welcome, Norm. Thanks, Ari. And as always, uh, you can find us at uh, Improv Asylum, beyondthenorm.com, uh, all those kind of places. Also, and I think uh, if we're forgetting to mention this, Ari, and I want to start getting to that. Uh, if in this time you're looking to support artists and comedians uh, oh, yeah. and comics, uh, we have our No Rest for the Wicked Funny Foundation. Uh, no Rest for the Wicked Funny Foundation, uh, predominantly over the last decade, has been used to raise uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for the likes of uh, Globe Santa and uh, Cradles, uh, uh, Cradles for Cradles Cran. But within all this time, so many people, so many uh, fantastic uh, performers who, who really do deliver the things that we love to watch and participate in are out of work. So we uh, we are taking any uh, any contributions uh, to that. You can find that at No Rest for the Wicked Funny com or at uh, improv asylum if you go to the page there if you want to contribute to the things that you love otherwise thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time